0: Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask now that you, by your spirit, who inspired your word, would cause that word to come alive in our hearts and our minds, to see it clearly, to have the resonance of that spirit, and to enjoy the ongoing growth and transformation that you give. We ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. When you care deeply about someone, when you have the opportunity to see them grow, to see them expand, it can cause great consternation for you if later, at a later time, they begin to turn back. You've seen them blossom in certain ways, and now it looks like they might be withering. Sometimes we fall back into old ways of thinking or old patterns or habits of life without even realizing it. Other times we make a conscious decision to turn back or to turn a different direction. Paul has been showing the Galatians how when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you move from being a slave to becoming free. And in your new freedom in Christ, you become an adopted son of God. God himself takes you on as his own. But some are starting to turn back. They're giving up their freedom. And here in Galatians chapter 4, we see three temptations that these folks have and Paul's responses to them. Temptation number one is found right in the middle. I want to ask you to look in the middle of the passage at verse 12 with me. Paul gives this interesting little phrase. He says, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. Let's be like each other <laughs> in certain ways. And the temptation to go back here, we're going to see, is the temptation to stop receiving the word of God with happiness. Paul says, be like me. And what he means by that is turn back from the notion that you can work for your salvation and embrace the joy of the gospel. Embrace the grace of God in your life. Stop thinking that you can earn it. Stop thinking that what you do is going to make the difference. Embrace the joy of grace. No matter what the circumstances are. This is the pattern. Of the Christian life. And then he says, I have become like you. And we see that at one time, these Galatians received that gospel joyfully when he came to them. It says that sickness brought Paul to them. That it was quite possible that he was among them for some kind of treatment. And that his illness was actually a burden to them. But even though he was physically a burden to them, they received the word of God and the gospel of grace in a particular manner. And that manner is important. Verse 15. Look with it with me. He says at the end of verse 14, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. It means they received him with the highest esteem. But, What then has become of your blessedness? And that phrase, blessedness, literally means they counted themselves happy. (laughs) What has become of the fact that you counted yourselves happy to receive me and to receive this word? At one time they were happy to receive the word of God. And this gospel of grace. So much so that Paul says that they even would have gouged out their own eyes to hear from him. But now, they're tempted to turn back. So Paul reminds them of where they came from. This begs the question, how do you receive the word of God? What is the disposition of your heart to hear the scriptures taught to you and the gospel reinforced to you? I mean, I would venture to guess that all of us who are Christians, who put our faith in Christ, at one time or another, would have counted ourselves happy to hear it. <laughs> like a cold drink of water on a, blistering hot day or a robust meal after some time without food. But what is your disposition today? Are you skeptical? When you hear the scriptures taught? Or perhaps you may think yourself above it as if it's all a little too elementary for you. I've heard these teachings before. And I don't know that I need to hear them again. I I get it. I get it. Or maybe you think that learning the details of the scriptures aren't really truly applicable to your life circumstances. That as long as I get the general gist of the storyline of the Bible and kind of the big core truths, God, love, sin, Jesus, cross, resurrection, like, I'm good, but the details aren't all that applicable. Jesus thought they were applicable. That's why he taught so much from the Old Testament. Are you teachable? One of my favorite moments in hiring one of our younger staff members a handful of years ago was in the context of our interview with him. And we were getting to know each other a little bit. And I I just asked him out of the blue, would you consider yourself to be teachable? And he said, yeah, I really want to be teachable. And I said, you want to be teachable or you are teachable? (laughs) Because there's a big difference between the two of wanting to be teachable and truly being teachable. What Paul is saying here is that the true Christian life is one that happily receives the word of God and the gospel of Jesus reinforced and contends for what is true regardless of the circumstances. And if the disposition of your heart is other, then there's a temptation to go back. The second temptation that we see in this text is to follow false teachers. There's a true way and a false way. That's been one of the underlying themes of this book. And we pick this up in verse 17. Look at it with me. We see that the tactics and the goal of false teachers become clear. He says, they, being these false teachers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. The false teacher makes much of you, so you will make much of them. Everybody wants to feel good. (laughs) Everyone wants to be made much of. To be promised good things. To be promised happiness. To be promised wealth or monetary resources. To be promised a long life. To be promised success. It feels good to hear that those things are counted as blessings and applied to you. False teachers have been doing this for ages. (laughs) But they do it not to help you, but so that you will help them. (laughs) Laud them. Make them famous. Give them your money. It's not a new story. And today, the most obvious examples of this can be peppered throughout a variety of contexts and seen in many television evangelists or faith healers or prosperity gospel teachers. And we don't typically name names about these people, but there is just one that keeps coming up seemingly almost everywhere I turn. I was at a restaurant a week and a half ago for lunch, and the waitress brought his name up. I'm talking to some of you in different contexts and something that you saw or heard. And, of course, his name is Joel Osteen. This weekend, there's a big Joel Osteen thing going on. Kanye West is going to be there at Joel Osteen's church. And so I just want to tell you as your pastor, I want to warn you as your pastor, this is precisely the type of false teacher that Paul is talking about here. He is great at making much of you so that he will be made much of. And the anguish that Paul gives is palpable in this in this part of the letter. I mean, this is not a small thing to him. The tone of the whole section is, is this toil and anguish. He uses words again and again and again to get to the cross. He says, I'm afraid. I've labored for you. I entreat you. I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I am perplexed about what is going on with you. I hope that you feel that much concern For your own spiritual life. (laughs) I hope that you feel that much concern for the spiritual life of those around you as well. False teachers make much of you so that you will make much of them. But true teachers make much of you so that you will make much of Christ. Look at verse 18. He says, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Don't go back, Paul says. The true teachers do make much of you So that you will make much of Christ. Don't go back. Stay true to the God who knows you. Because he is the one who sets you free. And that leads to the third temptation. And to really the driving thrust of this whole passage. We see it starting in verse 8. And working its way through the beginning. The temptation is to return to slavery. And Paul is saying, don't go back, because you are known by God. Throughout history, people have worshipped idols or false gods. Even today we see people uh, in a variety of different religious sects that worship a variety of deities. And according to the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians 10, that the worship of this kind is actually demonic in its nature. In verse 8, he uses a particular phrase to describe it, that it enslaves people. Enslaves people who are doing that instead of knowing the one true God. And so look at it with me. Verse 8, he says, Formerly, this is back before you knew God, back in your other life. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. this type of slavery is exactly the type of slavery that some of them are going back to in a different form. He is telling them that if you think for a moment that you can earn God's favor, that your works will make you good enough, that following the Jewish law, which has been sort of the underlying thread of the whole book, is going to make you righteous before God, then that type of st- of activity, following the days and months and seasons and years, following the Jewish customs and calendars. This leads you, whether it's worshipping false idols or believing that your righteousness is found in these things, it leads you to the exact same type of slavery. And verse 9 tells us why. Because both of these things Pursuing salvation through false idols or through believing that you can be good enough to get there. Both of these things, verse 9 tells us, are equating to turning back again to the weak and worthless principles. Elementary principles of the world. Whose slaves you want to be once more. And what are the elementary principles of the world? The elementary principle of the world is you need to save yourself. (laughs) And under this principle, we can make just about anything that we desire or anything that we think fulfills us or any category of life and thinking, we can turn that thing into something we worship because we falsely believe that it will give us the best possible outcome. And so if your greatest hope in life is your career and your career advancement, then you will functionally worship that career with your time, with your treasure, with your talent, with your affections. You will become a slave to that job and always pursuing that gain We will be devastated if we don't achieve what we thought we should have achieved. And we'll be always left wanting more, even if we do achieve it. (laughs) Slavery. Or if your greatest hope is your family then we will continue to commit ourselves to our children and to our spouse and direct all of our efforts and our devotion in that direction. But if we go through hard times, or if our children make mistakes, which they will, or if they don't turn out to be the types of people that we thought that they should be, we become devastated. <laughs> and if, by God's grace, things go really well, or pretty well, not the way you wrote the script, but all in all, you're pretty happy with it, You find some delight in your family and even joy in them, but you're still left wanting more and pursuing more to an endless degree and always under that type of pursuit, slavery. Here's the driving principle behind it. If we treat things that are not actually God as if they are, we become slaves to those things. (laughs) That's worth thinking about for a minute. If you treat things that are not actually God as if they are, you will become a slave to those things. Now you might not think of these different things or the countless others that we could list as earning your salvation. But we do think of them and many more things as earning us good standing, or right standing. And as such, they in some ways become a form of, sort of works righteousness. Remember throughout the book, Paul is engaging in the difference and contrasting the difference between righteousness that comes by God's grace alone. That God gives you grace, unmerited favor through faith in Jesus, that there's nothing that you can do to earn it, that your salvation, your righteousness, your standing, your fulfillment is solely based in what God gives to you through his Son and has accessed you by your faith in his Son. And contrasting that with the notion that you have to do better or be better or be a certain type of person or do certain types of things to either be fulfilled or to have right standing. That's called works righteousness. Another way to put it is this works righteousness always creates false saviors. Always false saviors that you follow, false saviors that begin to frame your perspective on life, false saviors that motivate you in a variety of ways but false saviors that never can deliver. On one side, it could be thinking that more money, more sex, more notoriety will fulfill you in life. On the other side, it could be thinking that doing certain religious things will save you. Things that we don't normally think about as idols Things that are generally good to do, but that we think, if I do these things, that I'm going to have favor with God. That he will think more kindly upon me. That he will bless me all the more. Things like serving at the rescue mission. Or having perfect attendance in church on Sunday. Or committing yourself to the read through the Bible in a year plan. (laughs) All things that you should do. All things that are really encouraging for you. That I would encourage you to do. But they will not make you righteous before God. And so Paul pleads with us. Don't go back. Do not go back to thinking that your performance is going to be the thing that gives you favor with God. Don't go back. Don't go back to thinking that if you're more religious, that this is going to be the thing that saves you. Don't go back to being a slave. (laughs) And verse 9 gives us the powerful truth as to why. Look at it with me. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again? to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Don't go back because you are known by God. Not just to know God, but to be known by God. I could... Have the opportunity to meet the President of the United States and speak with him for a few minutes someday, and I might tell you, hey, I know the President. (laughs) But if you were to meet him sometime later and you say, hey, I heard that you know my pastor, Nick Gatsky, you'd go, who the heck is Nick Gatsky? There's a difference between knowing and being known, and it's a big difference. It's the difference between a one-way relationship and a two-way relationship. And here's the great news. Is that when you realize that you can't make yourself righteous. That your activities, your performance in this life is not going to be the thing that saves you. That your performance in this life is not going to be the thing that garners more favor of God for you but rather that you look at the Lord Jesus himself and you say, the thing that garners the favor that I have before God is the grace that he gives, because Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and he gives me his righteousness, this shows that you are intimately not just knowing God, but that you are known by God. You're not a slave anymore. Under the elementary principles of the world, you're free from the ongoing pressure and compulsion for performance. You don't have to live as if the expectation for you is always unmet. You live under grace that was given to you freely, that you could have never earned for yourself. You're not a slave. You're an adopted son. And if you're a son, then you have a father. A father who knows you. In all the best kinds of ways. The prophet Jeremiah says this about God. He says, but you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Jesus says this of his followers in John 10:27. He says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." And Paul says it this way in First Corinthians 13:12. He says, "For now, meaning in this life, we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. God knows you. And if you've trusted Christ to forgive you of your sin... He knows you like a father knows his son. Fred Craddock was a former preacher and professor. And he and his wife were having dinner at a restaurant one day. When an old man approached the table and started talking to them. And asking them how they were doing and if they were enjoying their holiday. And When the old man asked Fred what he did for a living, Fred, fairly annoyed at this point, Thought that this was his opportunity to shoo the old man along, and so he said with a fairly gruff tone, I'm a preacher. A preacher? The man said, That is great. Let me tell you a story about a preacher. And the old man sat down at the table with them and started to tell this story. He explained that he was born without knowing who his father was. And at that time in history, To not know who your father was was a source of great shame. (laughs) They had a swear word for boys like that. And it would and could shape the direction of a person's life if they didn't have an intact family and if they didn't know who their father was. And this boy carried that shame with him for many years. One day a new preacher came to their local church and the old man explained how when he was a youngster he had never attended church before. But he thought he'd go one day and hear this new pastor preach. He was good, he said. And the illegitimate boy went back again and then again. And in fact he started to attend every week. But his shame went with him so this poor little boy, on his own, would arrive late to church every Sunday and leave early in order to avoid talking to anyone. Sounds like some of you. But one Sunday, he got so caught up in the sermon that he forgot to get up early and leave. And before he knew it, the service was over. And the aisles were starting to fill with people. And he rushed to get past as many people as he could and to get out the back door. But as he did, he felt a heavy hand rest upon his shoulder. He turned around and looked up to see that it was the preacher. (laughs) A big man, tall, in stature. And he looked down at him asking, What's your name, boy? whose son are you? The little boy died inside. This was the very thing that he wanted to avoid. And his shame was about to be made known. But before he could answer, the preacher said to him, I know who you are. I know who your family is. There's a family resemblance. Why, You're the son, you're the son, you're the son of God. And the old man sitting at Fred Craddock's table said, you know what, mister? Those words changed my life. And he got up and he left. When the waitress came over to collect the check, she said to Fred and his wife, Do you know who that was? He said, No. And they said, His name is Ben Hooper, the two term governor of Tennessee. There is great comfort and great motivation in being known by God. If you are known by God, it means that he knows your strengths and your successes. He sees them and he celebrates them. It means that he knows your hearts and your desire. It means that God knows your blind spots, your weaknesses, and he knows your sin. God knows the ugliest parts of you. <laughs> and he Gives you his grace anyway. And if that's true, then the whole famed idea that God is somehow functioning like Santa Claus, or that Santa Claus is somehow functioning like God in his approach, you better watch out, you better not cry. I'm telling you why. Little boy, you better be good. Little girl, you better be good. He's always watching this couldn't be further from the truth. Do you think God is just watching you? Do you think that he just sees you? He knows you. And when you think of your own kids, those of you that have children, and you might ponder the one or two or six things that you love the most about them. The things that just make you delight, the things that are uniquely them, and it warms your heart. I wonder if the God who knows you looks at you that way. And so every day, we remind ourselves that we belong to God through his son, Jesus. Don't go back to thinking you can perform your way into his favor. He knows you. John Stott says it this way. He says, By the grace of God, we must determine to remember what we once were, and never return to it. To remember what God has made us, and to conform our lives to it. A good example of this is John Newton. Many of you know the story. He was only a child, and he lost his mother when he was seven years old. By the age of 11, he was out to sea on a merchant vessel, and he later became involved in the unspeakable atrocities of the African slave trade. John Newton plumbed the depths of human sin and degradation. When he was 23, on March 10th, 1748, when his ship was in imminent peril and foundering a terrific storm, he cried out to God for grace and mercy. And he found it. He was truly converted. And he never forgot how God had showered his amazing grace upon him. A former blasphemer. And so he sought diligently the rest of his days to remember who he had previously been and what God had done for him. And in order to imprint this reality on his memory, the reality of slavery to freedom, slavery to sonship, grace alone, he had... Fastened across the wall over his mantle. The the words of Deuteronomy 15.15. God's command to Egypt. Or to the Israelites. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And the Lord, your God, redeemed you. Remember who you were. remember who you are and don't go back because you are known by God. Let's pray and thank him for that reality. Father in heaven, it is with great humility that we thank you and praise you for the free gift of grace. It is with great hope that we rest in the fact that you truly know us and that our performance, no matter what it be, will not garner favor with you. And it is with great joy that we proclaim the gospel to ourselves again this day and every day because of the work of your son. In his name we pray, amen.